Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of I Pledge Allegiance. This week, I'm talking to Stefan, the founder of Gnosis. He's one of the most experienced operators in the DAO and governance space. And his company, Gnosis, is one of the most important and impactful protocols in the space. Many, many people use Gnosis products every single day. And it's really become a platform for others to build upon. They now have a, a whole suite of products and, and features that they're rolling out. And I'm really excited to have them on today to, to talk about all of them and to talk about Gnosis DAO broadly. And that includes the multi-sig product, CowSwap, includes Gnosis Chain, sort of the history there. And it also goes into sort of their own governance proposals. I think there's interesting proposals both for Gnosis itself internally, and they've also now been exploring governance as a mechanism for external facing partnerships and collaborations. So very excited to, to have him on today. Stefan, welcome. Thanks a lot for having me and thank you for this kind introduction. So I guess to jump right into things, can you talk a bit about like what Gnosis is? I think like our target audience and our listeners are, are generally active governance participants, they're, they're DAO contributors. They probably most associate Gnosis with the multi-sig product, which has been enormously successful, has billions of assets, but there's a ton of things behind Gnosis. Like, can you talk a bit about what you guys actually are? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's actually a very good question because I think we caused quite a bit of confusion in the past of like what Gnosis actually is. And I think this comes from the fact that what Gnosis changed quite drastically over the last couple of years. And if you would have asked people in 2017, what is Gnosis? And pretty much everyone would have answered Gnosis is building prediction markets. It's a competitor to Augur. And that's really the main focus. And well, as you just mentioned, like if you ask people today, what Gnosis actually is, and most people will say, Gnosis is Gnosis safe, it's a multi-sig, it's a popular DAO tool. And I would not be surprised if you ask people in one or two years from now that again, the answer will be quite different. And I could foresee that if you ask people in two years from now, they might answer, yeah, Gnosis, that's this blockchain that I'm using for, for example, DAO governance. And yeah, maybe to explain a bit of how this all happened, yeah, in 2017, we did our own ICO, one of the first ICOs with the goal to, to build prediction markets. We started already in 2015, so even before Ethereum launched to work on the idea of prediction markets and yeah. And well, for the ICO itself, we had to build our own tooling. It was again, like super early. So basically nothing was available yet. You create everything yourself, including a multi-signature wallet to store the proceeds from the token sale. And this was Gnosis Multisig. And because many other ICOs obviously followed our ICO, many were using then exactly this multisig to store their funds and became super, super popular. So popular that we didn't want to ignore the success of this product and started to double down on it and created a new version, the Gnosis Safe, which had significant advantages. Yeah. And it turned out that Gnosis Safe actually became much more successful than the initial idea of building prediction markets. And I think with prediction markets, we saw that no matter who tried it, no matter if it was Augur, Gnosis, Gesser, Vale, you name it. <laughs> so many people tried to make prediction markets really popular. 
none of them really succeeded in this. And there always kind of was a niche market. And so that's why we, in the end, decided to stop working on prediction markets and focus on what actually was successful. And there were two products that became very successful. One is Inos Safe, and the other is, already mentioned it, it's CowSwap. CowSwap is a decentralized exchange which protects users from max maximum extractable value and allows very efficient settlement of trades. And yeah, now I think last year we were thinking about how can Gnosis continue and what would be the best strategy to make sure that every of those products can be successful. And that's why we decided to, yeah, to spin off Gnosis Safe and Cowstrop from, from Gnosis. So those teams were already quite autark. There were a little overlap between those two teams. And yeah, we were thinking about how can we create incentives such that those products can get their maximum potential and also yeah, how can we tie this back to Gnosis and GNO tokens? And at that time, we also were struggling to create a real community around Gnosis. So we had very successful products, but at the same time, like Gnosis itself didn't really have a community. And we were more like a traditional company at the time. And we were wondering, like, how can we, how can we evolve Gnosis to make it more transparent, to get more community participation? And that's why we wanted to explore how we can turn Gnosis into an actual DAO. And yeah, this was a process that we started about one and a half years ago. And it took us quite a while to prepare everything to turn Gnosis into an actual DAO that can also have control over the treasury of Gnosis. And yeah, now, now there is Gnosis DAO. It's a quite active community at this point with lots of governance proposals and yeah, I'm quite happy of how this turned out. There's still a lot that needs to be done, but at least we made the step from, from a traditional, let's say more or less traditional company towards a DAO. And last year there was also another very important event, which was like, we were thinking about how, how does the future for Gnosis look like when Gnosis Safe and CowSwap are actually independent? What is the purpose of Gnosis? And we had many ideas and one of them was that we try to collaborate much more closely with another project that we've been already working with, which was XDAI. So XDAI is the first meaningful sidechain to Ethereum, was I think almost always considered sort of a staging environment for developers to deploy their own applications. And yeah, then last year we decided to, to merge with XDAI and effectively turn XDAI into Gnosis Chain. And that's also what is the mission of Gnosis DAO today is how can we foster the ecosystem and grow the ecosystem around Gnosis Chain. Got it. Stefan, really great explanation and context on everything that's happened in the past few years. It's really easy to forget that like four or five years ago, it really wasn't easy to hold funds. Think about the parody multi-sig bug in 2017, I think at the time it was like a few hundred million years. Now it's probably more. People really take it for granted just how easy and how simple it is to, to store funds securely now. And it's really awesome to see just how it's all come together with the broader DAO and, and sort of how safe and CowSwap and everything else fits in. So yeah, I think it's definitely underappreciated aspects for the, for the multi-sig. 
Yeah, I think it's just something where I feel some of the most obvious things, you could consider them public goods, they are sort of underexplored because most don't really see a business value in them immediately. <laughs> and I guess this was a reason why, yeah, no one took on this task of creating a great multi-signature experience. And for us, it was just something that we, we saw as missing and we just need it. Everyone needs it. And that's why I like why we... Yeah, took on this task. Of course, we were also in a very fortunate situation where we had the funds to to explore additional ideas in addition to just building prediction markets. And I think there's also a lesson to be learned here that I think like the easiest product you can build or like the probably the most successful is one where you are your own customer because obviously we were a very heavy customer of our own multisig and later on also safe. And I think that's one of the reasons why it became widely successful. Totally, totally agree. And I, and I really enjoyed the, the framing and thinking around public goods. And I totally agree. I think it's the suite of products you guys are creating. Hopefully have, have accrued value to you guys. Gnosis is a, is a DAO obviously, but definitely in very large amounts to just the broader Ethereum and crypto ecosystem and, and setting standards. Since we're talking about the multi-sig product, you can just keep going in, in, in this direction to start with. Like, can you talk a bit about what safe protocol is and, and sort of how, how, just how that came together and what the plan is going forward? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So again, like the first version was the Snowsys multi-sig. It was a very, very, very simple contract, maybe 150 lines of code, very easy to read, but also very limited in terms of what it could do. It was really just this one very basic functionality, you store funds and then, well, you have multiple parts agreeing on execution and it allowed to store ERC20 tokens. And it was obvious also that there were strong limitations. So for example, when this code was written, it was at a time when no one cared about gas prices. And so it used patterns, which today would be considered anti-patterns, like storing a lot of data on chain which made it easy to iterate on the product because it didn't need much backend services, but was very costly to operate. And so it was obvious that this was not the, not the best way to implement it. And that's why we took the opportunity and the time to think about what would be yeah, the best way to implement multisig and the most flexible way to implement a multisig. And that's how we came up with Safe, which was one of the first applications to use this proxy pattern where didn't have to like deploy bytecode of smart contracts again and again, but rather have this possibility to reference code that already exists on the blockchain and also allow upgradability of code as well as and not storing transaction data on chain and so on. And it had one very important additional aspect, which was it allowed to, to add so-called modules, which effectively allow to define other yeah, authentication methods to execute transactions from Norse safe. And at the beginning, this was, it was a very generic way to, to extend the safe. And we only had ideas of like, yeah, using it to implement a daily limit or other like ways to make it easier to send transactions. But it turned out the scope was much broader than this. And I think, yeah, recently we, we were thinking about ways how we could extend the safe for more governance use cases. Because obviously a multisig is, is great to start with, but it has its limitations when it comes to governance and scalable governance. Everyone who's part of a multisig 
between different parties knows it takes quite some time to coordinate on which signature transactions. And that's why you cannot have more than a few people participating in one. Otherwise, you end up in situations where you can never sign any transaction or execute any transaction. And that's why it was clear to us, like if you, if Gnosis saves become like a cornerstone for the DAO ecosystem and you want them to remain relevant also in the later stage of governance, then we have to enable a way that allows to have, I think what is called progressive decentralization. I think Jesse was from Variant Fund was coining this term or like, how do you allow teams to, yeah, progressively introduce more decentralization depending on what phase of the project the project is in. And the Nosa Saves now allows exactly to do this. You start with a simple multisig, but once you reach, like once you have like a community established and you want to hand over more control to token holders, and now you can do this by adding modules to Nosa Saves, which allow to exactly do this. And, and one of those is called, like the framework that we're building around the save is called Zodiac. It allows to extend the saves for governance purposes. And one important module is called reality module, which effectively allows you to make off-chain consensus like you have in Snapshot or even Discord on-chain executable via a Gnosis save. And that's effectively also how Gnosis DAO today operates. So Gnosis DAO has a save on Ethereum mainnet and a save on Gnosis chain. And the save has this module enabled, which allows to use Snapshot to vote on proposals, but then make it on-chain executable. So you have the advantages of both. You have the advantage of, yeah, of off-chain consensus, which is, yeah, it doesn't cost any gas and it's very capital efficient. You can use tokens that are used in any DeFi protocols for voting. At the same time, you can still guarantee that what is voted on is also on-chain executable. And that's, that's, I think, one reason why the combination of saves and Zodiac became a quite powerful tool for, for governance on Ethereum and beyond. Totally. I think I really enjoyed the branding and the launch of the Zodiac product and definitely has, has done a lot to, to increase and improve the capabilities for end users. For the listeners that aren't super familiar with Zodiac, can you really just talk about like what modules enable, like fundamentally, like what kinds of new behaviors do they enable and what are some of the most widely used modules today? Right, right, right. Yeah. So basically Nosa Safe modules, they allow to send transactions from a Nosa Safe contract under different conditions than a multi-signature authentication. And this can really be, yeah, it can be in theory anything. <laughs> so it could be implementing a daily limit, as I mentioned before, where a certain amount tokens can be withdrawn by one of the owners without having to require another owner to confirm this. But again, it can also be used for different governance use cases. And I would say the reality module that I mentioned before is probably the most popular one because it allows this off-chain consensus to exist and still make this off-chain consensus on-chain enforceable because that's usually the biggest concern or that's why you need on-chain execution is you need something that can be enforced on-chain. But then if you use something like Compound, for example, then everyone has to vote on chain and that's very gas costly and people don't want to spend gas and don't want to spend money to vote. And then you end up in situations where hardly anyone participates in governance. And that's why I think it's a great design choice to say, we still allow everyone to vote off chain. And then we just have a way to make this information 
on-chain executable. And the way how the reality module allows us to do is by having, you can say, sort of optimistic governance. So you publish a like proposal on-chain via this module, assuming this has been the consensus. And you have to put up a bond, of course, to do this. And then there's an escalation mechanism where in case this is not what has been voted and agreed upon, someone else can double the bond and prevent this proposal from being executed. In theory, then the other party can again, like double this bond. And so it quickly escalates to a stage where it basically doesn't become, it doesn't become very profitable or like very risky to submit a proposal that actually is not what people voted on. And so far this worked very well. Like, of course, it has the, like in order to, to use this kind of governance, you have to be cautious of what is submitted. So we have also several like monitoring services that watch like what kind of proposals are being submitted. So we can make sure there's never a malicious proposal, but otherwise it works great. And so far it worked very well for us. There's also said there are also several other modules which are interesting for governance. So for example, we, we implemented RageQuit, which is known from MolochDAO, which effectively allows users or like yeah, members of a DAO to exit their position uh, that they have in a DAO, like different tokens that the DAO holds proportionally before a new proposal is being executed. And that has been very popular among Moloch DAOs and was kind of the killer feature. And now it was just us like implementing one additional module that anyone who wants to run a DAO based on those saves can add to also add this functionality. So it's like a very, very modular design. And the third module that I want to mention is the bridge module. So what we see today is we already live in a multi-chain world where DAOs want to operate across different networks. And I think Uniswap is actually a good example for this, where you have the main Uniswap yeah, the main Uniswap governance on Ethereum mainnet. But now many others, including us, we want to deploy Uniswap also on other networks like Gnosis Chain. And with this, the question comes, how, how can a DAO that is on Ethereum mainnet also control a DAO that's representing the organization on another network? And for this use case, we implemented what we call the bridge module, which again, you can simply add to your safe contract. And then it allows a DAO on Ethereum, for example, to execute transactions via a DAO deployed on Osis chain. Fascinating discussion. This last point about cross-chain governance is one that I don't think many people are talking about. Right now, people generally assume that if the protocol is operating on a certain chain, the governance is limited as well to token holders on that same chain. But I think over the past few months, we've started to see more and more protocols experimenting with, with cross-chain governance. As most of these protocols are going cross-chain and, and using their own strategies, I think Aave is another example. What are your thoughts on, on cross-chain governance as a, as a category? And how do you think it'll evolve going forward? For me, it's like, I mean, governance should be inclusive, right? So you, you ideally want to be in a situation where every one of your token holders can in some form participate in governance. And if we look at Ethereum today, then it's pretty obvious that Ethereum is not necessarily inclusive because of the gas fees that users have to pay. Yeah, so if you run if you run governance purely on Ethereum today, then it is self-evident that not everyone who holds your token can participate. And I think 
that's something that should be desired that everyone can participate. And so ideally you end up in the governance model where your token holders don't have to be on Ethereum, but they could be also on a different network and still have a say in what's going on in the protocol. Especially also because more activity will be not only centered on one chain, but potentially on many. I think Uniswap again is a very good example where obviously they started on Ethereum and were very successful and are very successful on Ethereum, but now they're also on several other networks and getting meaningful traction on those. And yeah, ultimately like token holders should have a say how those are governed. And ideally, yeah, again, like they don't have to be, they don't have to migrate to another network to do so, but they can be anywhere. And yeah, I think it also became obvious over the last couple of years that we already live in a multi-chain world. And yeah, I assume this will just continue to expand for now. There might be also another phase where there's again consolidation, but it's also clear to me that one network cannot serve all purposes, but rather we have different networks that serve different user groups, if you will. What we see today, right? Like Ethereum is great for whales, it's great for for people that have a lot of money, but then there are other networks that gained a lot of popularity, especially because they are cheap to use. And so, yeah, I think it's more a reality we have to adopt to. And again, like I think governance is very important and should be inclusive. And this will not be possible if we only think about governance on one network. And speaking of, of user controlled governance and building an inclusive system, I want to double click on the progressive decentralization idea you mentioned for, for Gnosis. What are some of the, the key decisions that token holders will have control over? Like what kinds of things will they be sort of able to do now? And, and how do you see that evolving in terms of the safe product? Like, again, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about potential things like a fee switch or, or other ideas that can curious how you think about that. Are you referring to the governance of the Nosa safe itself, right? Exactly. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good question. What I expect to happen is that there will be several proposals first, mostly driven still by the core team. So I think right now safe is in a position where it got a lot of adoption, but it's still mostly development is still mostly driven by the core team that now left Gnosis and became independent. And I don't think that from one day to another, this will entirely change and it will be entirely community driven. I think the safe is not yet at this stage. However, I think that, yeah, we will continuously have more and more community participation. And I think the first way to engage this is by aligning the roadmap of the safe itself with the ideas and wishes of the community. So I would expect that the core team will make several proposals of how the focus should be of the development going forward and that the community can have a say on where the focus should be. Because reality right now is the safe is already a pretty advanced program, but it's still, well, it's still a lot to be done to bring it to the next level in terms of integrations, in terms of adoption. And yeah, my expectation is that the core team will at the beginning at least drive those proposals but allow the community to have a significant say of, yeah, what the focus should be going forward. And yeah, I think a great way also to engage with the community is grants. So I think there are lots of like small pieces that need to be done that don't necessarily have to be done and coordinated entirely with the core team. 
And yeah, those could be done independently. And I hope that we'll see quite a few applications for grants to see how the community can also independently start contributing to it. I think one first nice initiative that we started is the, the Safe Guardians. So as part of the preparation of the, of the Safe token, we allow everyone who contributed to the Safe in the past to make an application, submit an application about what the contribution was, and then there will be like a DAO decision of how this should be rewarded. So we will try to, to make those that already contributed in the past to the no safe direct also members and participants in the governance going forward. And yeah, I think that's a good way to already start like having an active community of, of builders who actually really care about the product and have actively contributed to it. Totally makes sense. And, and yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see because again, there's so many people that have skin in the game with the Gnosis safe, whether they're actively using it or building on top of it or sort of using the modules, I think more so than like most other projects out there, there are like a huge amount of organic users that really rely on this product and it's highly essential. So yeah, I think you guys have been pretty thoughtful in terms of the airdrop strategy and sort of having the application process. What are your thoughts on, like, as I had mentioned earlier in the podcast, I think there's an entire class of, of new startups and new protocols building on top of Gnosis Multisig and sort of acknowledging the enormous distribution and traction and utility that, that already exists and sort of let, just building in additional features and productizing it even further. I'm talking about projects like Orca Protocol, which are sort of using Gnosis Multisig as, as the foundation for their pod architecture, for creating more hierarchy within DAOs. There's projects like Den, which are creating like different kinds of notification and, and tooling products for multisig users. Like, what are your thoughts on this organically emerging ecosystem of not just individuals, but companies and, and high quality venture backed startups? Like, building on top of Gnosis. Yeah, super amazing to see. I think I never expected this to happen on this scale, to be honest, but it's very encouraging, of course. And I think the reason why, why this happened is because simply every organization that is existing or is created on, on blockchain today, or almost every is starting as a simple multisig because it's so convenient and easy to understand and instead of trying to, to make people move to an entirely new system, it is usually easier to just add to what users have. And I think that's also how the entire DAO space is evolving. Reality is there's not like one system that rules them all, but instead what we see is most successful is different parties adding their own contribution to the overall governance solution. And I think the safe is exactly this is like a it's kind of a framework that allows to be easily extended. It's not opinionated and allows everyone to, to add uh, yeah, wherever they see fit. And I think that's the opportunity that many saw that the safe is kind of the default or like the default account being used by companies and organizations. And uh, instead of kind of reinventing this account, you just try to, to extend this account with functionality that people might need. And yeah, that's why I think 
the safest of successful. I would say that other governance frameworks are also successful, of course, but I guess that's why we see the most organic growth around NoSafe right now. And I think Orca is a great example on the governance side. We also see a lot of like DAO tooling built around NoSafe. So I think CoinShift and Parcel are also good examples of how yeah teams try to to extend like the use case of NoSafe for different yeah needs from DAOs could be simple payments, could be treasury management. And yeah, at this point, I think we can say that the safe is, is kind of the default, default account for all of those operations. And yeah, it's, I'm very happy to see this. It's a very meaningful adoption and it's a very, very nice confirmation, of course, to see uh, others building on top of your software, I guess is always the most rewarding for a software developer when you see others building around your software and benefiting from it. Totally. And to touch on back on the cross-chain sort of idea, is there any sort of intention or, or sort of, does it potentially make sense for, for Nipsis itself to, to launch multi-sigs on other chains? Other, aside from Ethereum, I would honestly say that the DAO and just like necessity for multi-sigs on other chains is much earlier, I think those communities are just generally smaller. I think there is a demand, but it's, it's just not nearly as big as that on Ethereum yet. Like, is this something you guys have thought about or, or can talk about? Oh, totally. Yes. Yeah. So for, for Nose Safe, this question came up already very long, very long time ago, simply because we saw this multi-chain world ex like exploding <laughs> last couple of years, lots of different chains starting and all of them were asking us to deploy Nosa Safe on their network. And that's why we also internally made it a priority to streamline the process of rollouts. And by now, yeah, Nosa Safes are running on, I would say, almost every meaningful EVM network. So it's not only Ethereum, but it's also Gnosis Chain, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, Avalanche, also I think Moonbeam, also on Nier actually. So it's really almost on on every network that has EVM support, which makes, yeah, which makes it really easy for us to deploy. And yeah, now we are also starting to roll out the DAO tooling around this. So Zodiac modules are being deployed on most networks. And yeah, we see also increasing demand for this. Again, like for example, Gnosis Chain also has, of course, like safe contracts deployed on multiple networks, starting with Ethereum mainnet and Gnosis Chain. With the simple purpose of utilizing assets, not only on one network, but on multiple networks. So of course, for Gnosis DAO, for example, the purpose is to foster the Gnosis chain ecosystem. And of course, this is something that can only be done when you're also active on this network. And so Gnosis DAO has started to transfer a lot of funds from Ethereum mainnet to Gnosis chain to help fostering the ecosystem on Gnosis chain. And this only works when, in case you have saves deployed on both networks and they can communicate with each other. Oh, that totally makes sense. And, and yeah, honestly, I did not realize that you guys are actually already launched on, on all these other EVM compatible chains. So that's yeah, helpful to them. Awesome. Taking a step back and sort of not just to talk about the safe product, because I think there's so much outside of that going on. Can you talk a bit more about what is the broader history and vision for Gnosis Chain and how does, how do the different product lines fit into it? Yeah, as mentioned before, like the decision to, 
to merge with XDAI was done last year. And like basically it already started maybe one and a half years ago when we started exploring different solutions to scale our applications to more users because we already foresaw that Ethereum fees are going to increase by so much that regular users will not be able to use our applications anymore. And that's why we started talking to, yeah, to the layer two teams, Optimism, Arbitrum, and we also talked to Polygon, which at the time was also mostly focused on their Plasma network. And we talked to XDAI and it became pretty obvious to us that layer two is still, yeah, a few years out before it becomes really ready for mass adoption. And the only way for us to scale to more users was by uh, deploying on XDAI. And XDAI at the time had a significant user base, had nice organic growth, and yeah, was for us an easy chain to deploy on, was EVM compatible, had great developer support. And that's why we decided to also invest into XDAI and started to deploy all our applications. In this case, Nosa Save, our exchange, but also Omen prediction market on this network and yeah, just started to be more connected to XTA in general. And then, yeah, last year, again, like with the decision to spin off Nosa Safe and, and CowSwap, we were thinking about new opportunities that you could take on as Gnosis. And we saw XTA being a very good fit because XTA, I think, had a similar let's say, philosophy about creating public goods, like XDAI never had like a really strong commercial interest. It was not, yeah, not backed by, by a lot of VCs. It was really a network that organically grew. And also the team behind it has built significant open source contributions for core infrastructure. They built the Block Explorer, Block Scout, they built the Omnibridge and several other things. And we were kind of I guess the application developer, there was a core infrastructure developer. And we also had gained more experience in maintaining core infrastructure in the past. So we took over Open Ethereum a while ago, at that time, the second most used client on Ethereum. And this allowed us to, to get firsthand experience in core development and build stronger relationships with everyone who had been part of this. And yeah, and then obviously we see the trend to a multi-chain world where like multiple chains coexist. And yeah, we, we saw the big opportunity for us to combine everything we have, our experience as being a dev developer, our experience in DAO tooling, our experience in core development with the XDAI team, which has yeah, strong experience in maintaining this infrastructure. And yeah, and also allowing XDAI to evolve to the next step, because I think at the time XDAI was popular, but it didn't have the sufficient resources to grow to the next level, to become like a, like a real big competitor to other networks. And we saw the opportunity to help XDAI to make this next step. And at the same time, also finding a utility for the GNO token and also giving XDAI like a new perspective, a new technical roadmap of how it can evolve. So when we decided, or like when, when we made the proposal to merge with XDAI, this proposal included not only the merge itself, but also allocating significant resources to grow the ecosystem around, yeah, then Gnosis chain 
and also changing the technical roadmap to not develop your own proof of stake, but rather follow the Ethereum 2 roadmap because we, we see that Ethereum 2 is probably the most advanced proof of stake algorithm today. It's the most decentralized and the last, yeah, hundred thousands of validators to coexist on one network and validate the network. And it's also the most well-researched, yeah, consensus algorithm with the biggest community. And so for us, it was a great opportunity to say, okay, we, we follow this roadmap and we're going to apply Ethereum 2 consensus also to Gnosis chain and run our own beacon chain where you actually then stake GNO tokens. And that's what we did after the merge was officially voted on and passed. Yeah, we launched the Gnosis beacon chain. And yeah, more people started running their own nodes and staking their own GNO. When we defined the parameters of the beacon chain, we actually talked to Vitalik of what he would suggest. And in the end, we settled on reducing the block time to only five seconds, which was similar to, to what XDAI is using today on the execution layer. And also changing the finality of the network to have only 16 slots instead of 32 slots like Ethereum has. And I think the reason why Vitalik suggested this is also because he sees the potential to reduce this also on Ethereum eventually in the future. And so in some sense, yeah, Gnosis chain can be almost like a canary network to Ethereum to see like how would changes play out if you would apply them to Ethereum by testing them on a network that actually has production status and is, is running a lot of applications and has a lot of users to really have like make meaningful assumptions of how those changes actually apply. And yeah, with this goal to, to go to Ethereum 2 consensus, we also suggested to, to front run the merge of Ethereum itself. So obviously this is, I guess, the most anticipated event in and blockchain in general today is, is the merge of Ethereum 2 with Ethereum 1, like merging the consensus layer and the execution layer. And yeah, right now our goal is to, yeah, to do this before Ethereum does or Gnosis chain and kind of giving the last check that everything actually works as expected. Of course, there's still a possibility for a failure, but if there's a failure on Gnosis chain, then we have all means to eventually interfere and correct it. Whereas if there would be a failure on Ethereum mainnet, then this could cause catastrophic problems. And that's something everyone wants to avoid at all costs, obviously. And yeah, that's why we started working together with the core development teams and Ethereum too. So we work together with Prism, we work together with Lighthouse, and we work also together with the teams working on Ethereum 1. So specifically we work together with the Aragon team but also with the Nethermind team to make sure that, yeah, this merge can happen first on Gnosis Chain. Clearly a lot going on in Gnosis Chain and definitely would be really cool to see, yeah, just like Gnosis be able to, to execute on, on similar ideas to Ethereum with the merge sort of ahead of time. And I think that would be, would be fascinating to follow. I think another thing to point out for Gnosis Chain is because sort of of the history behind XDAI and sort of how it's, how Gnosis Chain has become integrated with the pro entire product suite. There's a pretty active sort of set of governance proposals and participation on forums. It's one of the more active forums that, that I've seen. There's different ideas from, from funding core teams to doing token swaps to grants and other ideas. What's your general take on 
sort of like Gnosis, like how governance is, is going for Gnosis chain, like what are folks interested in? Are there any things you'd like to see sort of people work on? Yeah, so it's interesting to see how the governance evolved. So again, like we, like one and a half years ago, Gnosis was still like a centralized company where basically two to three people made decisions and we decided to move into like the DAO model, like creating Gnosis DAO. And with this, we also decided to move almost all our funds that we had, and they are still very significant, even at today's prices, a very significant amount to move them into the DAO itself and make it transparent of how those funds are being used. And while we were in this process also, like, as I mentioned before, there were a few spin-offs, like the safe spun-off, CowSwap became independent, but there was also a third team, which was created kind of out of Gnosis, maybe even more independent than the other two was founded by one of the Gnosis employees, which was Kapatki. And Kapatki does treasury management. And obviously now that the funds were moving from Gnosis Limited to Gnosis DAO, suddenly the counterparty of this organization was not anymore Gnosis Limited, but the DAO. And because it's a DAO, now everything has to be public and everything has to be voted on. And so a lot of the ideas that Kapatki had, had to now be turned into public governance proposals. And kind of the, one of the first proposals was to allow Kapatki to manage the treasury of Gnosis DAO and also make reports to the community to like, how are the funds actually being used? And I think the community really appreciated the transparency and understanding of how the treasury of Gnosis is being utilized and what are the returns that the DAO token holders get from, from this endeavor. So yeah, if you, if you look at it, at it on a high level, then maybe it's a little bit similar to what happened with MakerDAO, just on a smaller scale where you had previously one large organization and now this large organization is gone. And instead you have many smaller core units, which take on different responsibilities in the new governance structure and all of them start making proposals and try to shape how how the DAO should function, but they are independent from each other. And yeah, I think this really made the entire governance and DAO interesting for others to, to join the forum, to read what's going on, to engage in discussions, and then also starting to make their own proposals. Yeah, I, I think this has been quite successful for us. And so right now we see lots of different proposals. So it's hard to say there's only one category that people like to do, but instead they make proposals for treasury management, they make proposals for investments, they make proposals for grants. And I think we are still in a phase where we see we have to make Gnosis DAO more scalable. So it doesn't make much sense for us to have a proposal where, let's say, only a few thousand dollars are being decided upon. But instead, it makes sense to try to create another like core unit that eventually deals with grants, another that deals with investments. And instead of making everything a DAO decision, we start to delegate responsibilities to core units, which then can execute on the behalf of, of Gnosis DAO. And yeah, I think Kapatki was the first great example of how this could work and how it can be done very transparently. And yeah, the reception by the community so far is very good. They really appreciate this transparency and also make suggestions. And so, yeah, I'm quite happy about how engaged the community is. 
more than ever before at Gnosis, that's for sure. And we see also yeah, more people joining the community every day and starting to engage in discussions, which is really nice to see. Definitely agree that I think DAOs need multiple well-funded teams that can have autonomy, have flexibility, and be able to, to move aggressively, similar to a startup. I think some kinds of service providers or full-time employees are needed if you're a DAO trying to ship product. I guess one question I have is, like, I've talked about the MakerDAO Corina model with a lot of people on this podcast, and I think generally it's a pretty interesting model, right? It was the first sort of example of full-time teams, first prominent example of full-time teams funded by the DAO. The foundation returned all the funds to, to the community. And we've seen, I think at this point, there's like 15 to 20 core units. I've heard some folks mention that, like, it's very bureaucratic and it's just very heavy. Like all these core units have to go to go through governance and request budgets. And like, it's very difficult to to hold these coordinates like accountable and, and sort of see how they're spending funding. And there's no like perfect solution for this, I think, right? It's just one of the challenges of, of large organizations and public facing communication. Like, I don't think anyone specifically is, is at fault, but I guess curious if you've thought about these challenges and what you think about the core unit model broadly. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I can definitely see the criticism and I think it's also partially justified, even though I think if you could compare MakerDAO to a traditional company, you would probably still say that MakerDAO is less bureaucratic than, than most traditional companies are. But that being said, it's, there's definitely, I would say some efficiency gains to be made in the way how MakerDAO currently operates. I'm not deep enough in MakerDAO to really judge them and say like, or like point out exactly why this is the case. I think the reason why at Gnosis it works well so far is because I think there has been a very diligent curation for the people who are leading the core units because most of them effectively kind of spun out of Gnosis. So there has been already a long-term relationship before. And I think also the community keeps each other in check in terms of, I haven't seen really unreasonable proposals yet where we feel like it's outrageous or, or anything like this. And instead, what we have seen is core units themselves thinking about how they can be held accountable <laughs> and seeing the need for like third parties to do audits. So Kapatki again is a good example where, I mean, obviously everything is on chain. So in theory, everyone can follow what's going on, but in practice, of course, no one does. And everyone's just taking a look at the report, but no one's really verifying that this report is actually what the reality is. So that's why they brought up the need for, you need to have like one independent party, which can cross-check that what we do is actually what we report. And yeah, I agree with that and we, we need it. And yeah, so far, I guess this is for me just a sign that so far the people in charge of the different core units at Gnosis, they still think very collaboratively. It's not a competitive environment. And I think that's why it works very well. I feel sometimes at Maker, it feels more competitive 
even though everyone is in theory working towards the same goal. Maybe at MakerDAO, this North Star is not always clear to everyone. And I know that the founder, Rune, has also been stepping back a little bit. I think for us, obviously, I would say me and Martin, we had never less influence <laughs> on Nose's future than today. At the same time, I think it's still on a very different level compared to, to what MakerDAO currently is. And so I think it is very important that every organization has this North Star of like, this is where everyone should follow. For for Gnosis right now, this is like thinking about how can we make Gnosis chain successful? How can we increase adoption? Meaning how can we increase demand for transactions? How can we increase number of users? And so far, I guess also because Gnosis DAO is still fairly small compared to MakerDAO. Yeah, it works quite well. Everyone is mostly aligned. And if there are conflicts, they are, yeah, they're being dealt with. And yeah, so far we are not facing the same issues as MakerDAO, but again, I could say, I could see that this is maybe a question of how far an organization can scale. And of course, like if you are at the level of MakerDAO, where you have lots of different core units and I guess the communication overhead just naturally becomes bigger and bigger. And if responsibilities are not hundred percent clearly defined and if the goal that everyone should strive towards to is not hundred percent clearly defined, then this will lead to a lot of friction and then it becomes really inefficient. But again, like I, I don't want to judge MakerDAO. I'm a big fan of MakerDAO and I, I also see that they are starting to have, again, like a more clear plan of how to move forward, uh, which I, th I also contribute to like new leaders emerging out of the organization. And I think that is, yeah, that is much appreciated and needed to, in order to, to make it, make it a success. So I think. In the end, decentralization is not about having no leader at all. <laughs> I think you still need some people who can drive others and it can still be decentralized organization. Agreed with, with almost all of that. I think like one of the, I think the core units, the model is good and it works, but I do think like they would probably benefit from, from more of a shared sort of roadmap. And I think competition and, and it's sort of like competition between creators is, is good. It forces everyone to up their game, but I do think, and, and again, that happens in every company, not by no means is this unique to a DAO, but it does sometimes feel like that maker DAO could, could benefit from a more, in some ways, a more direct sort of united vision. But I guess, again, that's one of the points of a DAO, right? To have different approaches and experiments around things like adding real world assets and how to manage other parts of it. So yeah, definitely an interesting case study. To agree, agree. Maybe one comment about competition. So I also agree with you hundred percent that it is good to have competition in organization and to strive to improve or like, yeah, do something better. I think there's different types of competition. There's, I would say competition around like say offering the best service for the DAO <laughs> in terms of, yeah, we build the best smart contracts or, or we, we do the best business development for the DAO. And then there's other competition, which is, I guess, more about power, <laughs> power structures in the DAO. <laughs> and I think those can become very complicated. Yeah. If it's mostly about influence and, and budgets, I think then it can easily become very political and then can become very. Yeah, it can become quite inefficient. 
And I think then it's helpful if you have some people who can, who have like a more clearer leadership status, which can help to drive decision-making. I know MakerDAO has this delegation model. I'm not sure how well it actually works or how big the incentives is for, for delegates right now to, to really have meaningful impact on this. But yeah, I guess this is, yeah, again, like a competition is generally, of course, it's good to have. It just has to be still a productive process in the end. I really like that framing of the different types of competition. I think like it's very easy to say just in an open marketplace, competition's good, but you really have to, to, to understand what kind of competition, sort of how the participants are incentivized and what is healthy versus unhealthy competition. How do you prevent monopolies and, and oligopolies forming in DAOs? Because that is a, a potential risk. Awesome. Well, Stefan, really appreciate you taking the time today to, to come on. I pledge allegiance. I think you bring a very, it's been a pretty illuminating conversation for me as probably one of the most essential and longest and earliest projects in the DAO tooling and infrastructure space. I think, yeah, it's, it's been very, very fascinating to just hear your perspective, hear your thoughts and think about what kinds of advice you would give for people using and building on top of Nexus. So yeah, really excited to see how all these different products evolve, how, how it all comes together on it with, with Nexus chain and yeah, looking forward to, to chatting with you again. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Derek, for having me. That was a great conversation with you and yeah, I hope many are trying out different types of DAO governance. I still think it's the most exciting field right now in terms of innovation and potentially real world impact. Very excited to see generally like how blockchain can have finally kind of bridged the gap from the early adopters to like a broader impact. I think we saw this with DAOs like Assange DAO and yeah, I think we will see many more in the coming years. Definitely. Well, Sivan, great chatting with you and thanks for taking the time.